Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Delmonico's. Just saying the name has always brought back a memory or meant the expectation of an experience like no other. Oscar Wilde thought that an evening there was the most remarkable bit of scenery in America next to Yosemite. Edith Wharton mentioned it in her fiction. Abraham Lincoln enjoyed the cuisine and the surroundings. Charles Dickens was honored there on an American visit and Mark Twain chose it to celebrate his birthday. In more modern times, Gypsy Rose Lee danced on a table wearing only, it seems, a menu. Lena Horne got up and sang, and along with presidents and royalty, Elizabeth Taylor, Ava Gabor, Rock Hudson, and so many Hollywood royalty, dined in elegance and in privacy. From its early years, the imposing building found at 56 Beaver Street in Lower Manhattan was called the Citadel, and even despite its various other locations over the course of its history, as it followed society up the island, this triangular seven-story fortress endured and remained Delmonico's most iconic home. On April 10th, 1923, just over a hundred years since its first opening, the original Delmonico's business served its last meal, accompanied only by mineral water instead of the vintage wines and champagnes that were usually savored along with the fine French cuisine. Prohibition, enacted in 1919, had finally shuttered this institution as well as so many others. In the closing of Delmonico's, Prohibition had shut down in some ways the very soul of social New York. The great dining and entertaining empire of the Gilded Age had fallen and vanished forever. Or had it? Most thought that the venerable Delmonico's could never rise. But rise again, it did. At an unlikely time, still during Prohibition, and ignited with the dreams of an ambitious young man newly arrived from Italy. This passionate dreamer not only resurrected a business, but transformed the old citadel from its dimmed and dusty past into not only a diamond for a new Gilded Age, but rather something more and something new, a crown for a true Golden Age. My guest today holds the spirit of Delmonico's in his very being. Max Tucci is the grandson of the man who had that dream of raising Delmonico's from the dust and whose family went on to build a new empire lasting well into the 1980s. With the publication of his extraordinary new book, The Delmonico Way, sublime entertaining and legendary recipes from the restaurant that made New York, Max joins me right here today to help us understand what he means by the Delmonico Way and how we can bring it into our own homes today. 
I'm Carl Raymond, the host of the Gilded Gentleman History Podcast, where we take a journey into the world's light and dark of America's Gilded Age, France's Belle Epoque, and England's late Victorian and Edwardian eras. Two families, both alike in dignity. Shakespeare's prophetic words, forever etched into our minds, open the tale of Romeo and Juliet, perhaps history's greatest love story. In fact, it is with those very words that my guest today, Max Tucci, opens his own story. And the tale we're about to unfold for you today is indeed another story of two families, the Delmonicos and the Tucci's, certainly both alike in dignity, but who never knew each other. They began businesses a hundred years apart and yet will be forever connected in our cultural and culinary heritage. This is, of course, a different kind of love story from Shakespeare's tale, Ours is a story of love of family, a passion to bring people together and to make them feel comfortable, and no matter who they are, to make them feel at home. This is a story unlike any other of ancestors and of legacy. It is the story of the most famous restaurant New York has ever known, and certainly the one that defined grand cuisine, fine dining, and hospitality for everything and everyone that has come since. To celebrate the publication of his new book, Telling the Story, much of which only he can tell, and sharing the history and offering a wonderful selection of recipes, Max Tucci is with me today. Max Tucci is the grandson of Oscar Tucci, who brought Delmonico's back to life in those prohibition years. After Oscar's death, Max's father Mario and Aunt Mary continued to steer the business through the 1980s. In addition to being keeper of the Delmonico Flame, Max himself is an award-winning producer and host of Max and Friends. He is a writer and a TV and radio personality and fellow podcaster. A food and wine expert and enthusiast, Max divides his time between his farm north of New York City, Colorado, Florida, and the family home outside Florence, Italy. Thank you, Max, so much for being here and for making time in your incredibly busy schedule to share your story on The Gilded Gentleman. Thank you. Thank you for having me here today. All right. So, Max, so let's get back to the beginning here, because this really is the story of two families, both of whom created revolutions and really redefined hospitality. So let's look at that first family, the Delmonicos. Well, just who exactly were they and what did they do? Indeed. What a wonderful question. And, you know, to talk about the present, indeed, we have to talk about the past, right? So the Delmonico brothers, let's journey back to 1827, when two brothers, Swiss Italians, opened a bake shop, let's call it, right? A confectionery. And they had a passion for food and for the culinary world. It then went from a bake shop two years later to 1830 to a restaurant. And then it became known as America's first fine dining restaurant. Fine dining in the sense that they brought tablecloths to the tables. They brought the menu to the table. They introduced a French cuisine that was never really experienced yet in New York in an environment that was sophisticated, that was elegant, that drew society, celebrity, and dignitaries, and royalty alike. And so really who the Delmonico brothers were, I'm asked the question often, why are you a Tucci and not a Delmonico? And obviously genetics define that. But as we know, sometimes blood is thicker than water, but also water sometimes is more necessary to understand friends and family. And so I've never obviously met the Delmonico brothers, But when I speak about my ancestors, the Tucci's, 
I also speak about the ancestors of the Delmonicos. They paved the way for my grandfather without knowing. And that same yellow brick road that they paved or that gilded road that they paved, my grandfather paved for not only my father, but myself. So the Delmonicos really were the pioneers of America's first fine dining restaurant in New York, and also the pioneers that brought, as you said in the top of the show, so many incredible names under one roof. This whole sense of revolution and innovation and evolution is something that just seems so much part of certainly the Delmonico story and certainly part of you and the Tucci story. One of the things that I've heard you talk about several times that really, really strikes me was the women's lunch that occurred in the middle of the 19th century in 1868. And this was something that the original Delmonico brothers did. We're going to follow up with that, with how your grandfather and father also welcomed mm -hmm. people that may not have been welcomed other places. But can you talk about that women's lunch? Because sure. that was a defining moment. You know, it was a defining split second moment in the sense that prior to April 20th, 1868, women and I say this not in today's vocabulary, but to antiquate myself, we're not allowed to dine without a man, unaccompanied by a man. If they did, they were known as women of the night, right? April 20th, 1868, a women's society gathered at Delmonico's for lunch for the first time. Now, does that mean that women then had a cakewalk after that? Absolutely not. But it was that moment in American history that broke the official glass ceiling of allowing women to dine unaccompanied by men. So what does that mean? Women gathered in my new book, The Delmonico Way. There is that picture of that women's luncheon. And when you see, there's photographs when you notice every woman that's there. The pride that they have, the self-worth that they use to prepare themselves in their attire, in their clothes, in their bonnets, in everything they chose to that day to define a moment in American history that would change forevermore how women dined. That photograph to me is one of the most incredible photographs for women's history in the United States and in the world. I'm so glad you included it in the book, right? Thank you. Now, Delmonico's followed society up the island. And at various moments, there were more than one Delmonico's operating. There were different locations of it. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So the Delmonico brothers, you know, I like to say that they were kind of the first chain restaurant in America. They had several locations between 14th Street, 23rd Street, and then, of course, the most iconic downtown Bowling Green on 56 Beaver Street, which is obviously the building that my grandfather then took over. But um, they had courage, you know, and they were they were culinary pioneers to expand on an island. Absolutely. And it's fascinating because we'll relate it back to your own family. But when you look at those three brothers, Giovanni, Pietro and Lorenzo, Lorenzo was the nephew. He was the real marketer. And he's the one that really drove the business after the other two had left it and thought of new locations and thought of marketing opportunities to to really appeal to this society. Indeed. As we all know, just kept moving up. He was up the, the Mario island. Tucci. Oh, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> now, I noted at the beginning of the show in my introduction that the, the original business was shuttered during uh, pro ambition. But then your family came along and changed it all. So can you talk about who was Oscar Tucci and what was his vision? Absolutely. And before we talk about the Tucci family, let's do some myth busting. 
right? Here on the Gilded Gentlemen. So, Prohibition, 1923, finally shuttered Delmonico's. Why? And people ask me, was it because they weren't allowed to serve alcohol at the bar? Yes, that was one of the reasons. But remember, Delmonico's was never a steakhouse. It was fine French cuisine, which includes alcohol in the recipes. So now the recipes are being compromised. So now the food is being compromised. So the sherries can't be added, the ports, the wine, etc. can't be added to the recipes. So that really compromises the menu as well. So understandably, they shuddered. The building was empty from 1923 to really 1925. My grandfather, who came from Florence, Italy, before we continue on him, we say their names, Oscar Tucci, Sesta Tucci, Mary Tucci, Mario Tucci. There's a wonderful African proverb that says, every time you say my name, my spirit shall rise. And so that was really the essence of why I wanted to do this book. Who was Oscar Tucci? Oscar Tucci, from doing this book, I've never met. He was my grandfather, never met him. Died in 1969, 10 years before my birth. Yes, my name, Max Tucci, but my first name, Oscar, in his honor. So I never met this gentleman. However, over the years of doing this book, 15 years in the making, I've learned that Oscar Tucci was one of the most kindest, hospitable, gentle, respectable man that was ever in the hospitality industry. He was known for saying, all are welcome at my table. But so Oscar Tucci came from Florence, Italy, first with my great-grandfather, Oreste, and they came in 1912 on the ship La Lorraine. And that was their first voyage. They had many voyages between. And Oscar loved the Americas. He loved the hospitality industry, even though they weren't a part of it. And it drove my great-grandmother really, I think, bonkers in the sense that she did not want him to be a part of it. He had this desire for the Sonio Americano, the American dream. He had this desire to, he and his sister Fanny were, I think, two of the black sheep in the family. Oscar came to New York, Fanny went to Argentina. And so when Oscar came to New York again and again and again, he finally ended up here in 1925. He saw that building shuttered and he said, I have to make something of this. Resurrecting the Delmonico brand, the phoenix from the ashes. The building was slated to be demolished. There were offices on the second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth floor and seventh floor for immigration offices and ship insurance. Remember, it's down in the seaport. The restaurant, through those double doors, was vacant, shuttered, dusty, left behind, almost like what we went through during COVID when we locked the door to Broadway, when we locked the doors to the restaurants, everything was left in its place. And they abandoned the restaurant, the Delmonico's brothers. You know, I feel that from research, they were just between prohibition, which really devastated them, and also they were what we call today meatless Mondays and wheatless Wednesdays, but there were also rations of food the meatless days and the wheatless days. All of these led to their closure. And I think anyone who knows the restaurant industry, a nearly 100-year run for a family is phenomenal. It's exhausting, though. So I could understand why maybe prohibition for them was the silver lining. Now, your grandfather reopened Delmonico's, or at least a version of Delmonico's, still in the middle of Prohibition, and he opened it as a speakeasy, mm. right? Because he couldn't open a full restaurant. So I was fascinated in the book reading about how he got some alcohol 
in there. Can you Clever. talk about this? I want to talk. You got to talk about Delmonico dollars, too. How did he do it? Clever. He was clever. So let's revisit 1926. Imagine Prohibition era when people, and I'm not talking about Prohibition in the sense where it wasn't glamorous. Prohibition days were also very glamorous. It wasn't just bathtub gin and brothels. It was in areas like Delmonico's. So there was a side door and you would come down the side door and there you would find the speakeasy. And clever in the sense of the alcohol that he would have transported there was in my father's pram. My grandmother, Sesta Beneforti, Tucci, would put bottles in my father's pram and bring them to Delmonico's. So it was a family affair. It was a family effort to resurrect this building. Now, what does that mean when Oscar started to speak easy? It meant that he was showing his hospitality in a time when really hospitality was shuttered and he was welcoming people and he was he was really garnishing a beautiful clientele. So he did it from 1926 to 1933 when he had the third liquor license in New York City. Can you talk about the Delmonico dollars? Because I love that story. I love that you love that story. The Delmonico dollars, what do they mean? Well, my Aunt Mary saved every piece of ephemera that my grandfather found in the building. Not only did she save it, my mother, Gina, also saved it for all these years. So while I go through this treasure trove, I like to call myself the Little Mermaid when she has that treasure trove. And she's like, look at this stuff, treasures untold. How many wonders can one cavern hold? They held the past of Delmonico's. And in the past was this Delmonico money. And so I was very curious as to what this was about. And so the Delmonico dollar that Oscar recreated was a Delmonico dollar that was originally from Delmonico Brothers. And he created this as monopoly money, let's call it. So that even though you couldn't exchange money for alcohol, he figured out a way to have the clientele feel as if they were paying for it. So it was like credit. And it was this Delmonico dollar, it's in the book. And that Delmonico dollar, I think, really kept Oscar going. And so it was a fun tidbit that my Aunt Mary shared with me that Oscar was clever enough to create this, this Delmonico currency in a time when alcohol wasn't able for purchase. I think it's brilliant. <laughs> Nothing short of brilliant, Max. Now, how did your grandfather, Oscar, reinvent Delmonico's once he was finally able to open it as a full-service restaurant? What did he do? So, remember, from 1926 to 1933, he was operating this speakeasy, which means he also served food. Let's not think it was just alcohol and illegal alcohol. He served food. It was a very humble menu, let's call it. One where it kept people happy. A lot of eggs were involved. And my grandfather would go to the farms in Staten Island and also as far as Bridgeport, Connecticut, to find produce and meats and, of course, the meat market and the fish market. So he created menus. And by 1933, when he turned key to the new Delmonico's that served alcohol, imagine the celebration that they had where now we can expand from really the basement up. Now, of course, he was operating a restaurant on the first floor, but it wasn't as glamorous as the speakeasy was. So by 1933 into the 30s, he really understood food. But even deeper than food, he understood hospitality. To go into hospitality, you have to, number one, and this is what he taught my father, love people. 
if you do not love people, do not go into the hospitality industry, right? Because it's not about the food and it's really not about the environment. It's how you treat people and how you make them feel. So he made them feel so special. Everybody was a star. You know, there was a Daily News quote recently that said, Hollywood met Delmonico's and everyone was a star, where Hollywood met Wall Street. And so Oscar made everyone feel important. And also by doing that, he started bringing in foods from other places that he loved to travel. India, he brought curries. He was bringing food from Tuscany. So he started creating this menu that America had never seen before. So Oscar was really cultivating this energy and bringing in his love and passion. You know, he's from Florence, Italy, the Medici blood. They say they have purple blood, right? And so he was bringing in this sophistication, this refinement, this elegance that, yes, the Delmonico's brothers had it as well. But now this was a new era, the 1930s, 1920s even. So what did Oscar bring? He brought Florence to New York. One of the things that I loved reading in the book, which I think will actually surprise some people because people think of the celebrity associated with Delmonico's. We're going to get to that in just a minute. I can't <laughs> wait. But I was fascinated by the notion of it being a business lunch spot mm -hmm. because it's right near Wall Street. It's right downtown. And the fact that he brought a ticker tape machine or had a ticker tape running Right. During the um, during the lunch hour. So these, you know, stockbrokers could commit. Can you talk about that? I mean, talk yes. about brilliant marketing. You know, he was a genius in marketing, really a genius. I found scrolls of ticker tape. Imagine this in in these archives. And so what Oscar did was by the time he put that ticker tape machine in the building, he had owned the whole building, 70,000 square feet of restaurant space, where he had rooms such as the Bull and Bear Club, the Python Room, the Roman Room, the Baroque Room, the Palm Room. Lehman Brothers had a room there. Harvard Lunch Club had a room there. So what Oscar brought to the building was a new energy. And with that new energy, he brought in things like a ticker tape machine. Why? Because he didn't want his thousand lunches a day to leave early because they had to run back to figure out what was going on in the market. So even in the book we talk about, there's newspaper articles that I have as well that discuss this wonderful idea of putting in a ticker tape. And he went as far as to teach the staff how to read it so that they could go and report it to the clientele. And in the book we talk about the ticker tape and it says, Oscar Delmonico, the restaurant with a stock exchange ticker on its premises, is briefing its waiters how to read and interpret ticker tape symbols as a service to its luncheon patrons from the Wall Street District. The ticker tape is a permanent fixture at the entrance. So imagine this. Now today we have bars that scroll on the bottom of the screen. But he was doing this before even, you know, TikTok. <laughs> it's such a brilliant example. Now, Delmonico's really starry reputation, at least in terms of Hollywood, you could certainly say maybe began around the 1950s mm. or so. Can you talk about how that began and, and as an adjunct to that, why Delmonico's was a particularly desirable location for celebrities? Because I think that's a really important point. It is. And also what I think is even more important is to note that Oscar respected privacy and had a no paparazzi rule. So celebrities felt safe. You would go to the store club, Copacabana, you would go to El Morocco, and there you would celebrate celebrity in their finery and in paparazzi. But at Delmonico's you could come in and you could be yourself without having to put on face. 
But when you did put on face, Gypsy Rose Lee, 1959, she would go and dine there with Billy Rose. And as the great Cindy Adams would say one night, Billy Rose had her trace subdued because he liked it that way. Ava Goodbore would come in. Red Buttons would come in. And if we remember, and I always have to say her name because I adored the Virginia Graham. Of course, absolutely. Virginia Graham <laughs> from Girl Talk. She was the original The View on ABC. Right, right. And Virginia Graham would come in in her chinchilla capelets and her ostrich dresses. And imagine all of this room filled with glitterati, as Josh Sapin would say. Celebrity, as much as they loved Delmonico's, Delmonico's loved them. Oscar loved them. Kristen Jorgensen, remember Oscar said, all are welcomed at my table, including Kristen Jorgensen and Lena Horne. Please what, talk about Kristen, Christine Jorgensen. Christine Jorgensen so was the first transgender woman in America, and I think really in the world, where she became noted. Prior to that, she was a GI and became really one of the, the hottest topics in, in American history with her, her surgery where newspapers would really bash her. And Oscar had such a compassionate heart, remembering all are welcome at my table. He would take it to one step further with the validation, I see you, I hear you, and you matter. And so once the clients understand that, the patrons know that they're seen, they're heard, and they matter, it's not about the restaurant, it's not about the chef, it's about them. Kristen would come in. She and Oscar were friends. She would sing at the same Steinway piano that we had in the palm room, that Lena Horne would sing, that Gypsy Rose Lee would sing, that Eartha Kitt would purr in. This was the scene. This was Delmonico's. And it's of an error that really, when I close my eyes, there's that song. I say my life is like the greatest showman mixed with uh, the movie Big Fish, where at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, Everyone that the old man talks about shows up at his funeral. And in the sense of whom, you know, um, the circus, the Barnum Bailey Circus. Barnum was the circus. Oscar was the restaurant. The same thing that, that Barnum loved about New York and everyone was gatherings and getting people together. And those that really weren't celebrated, the misfits, let's call them. And Oscar loved everyone. So he entertained them, I say. So, you know, he, he was an incredible... He was an incredible man, understanding that humanity and celebrating one another was the key to his success. I also think a really interesting point about Delmonico's is where it was. We talked a little mm. bit about this at, at the beginning, but I think for those that are not familiar with New York, it's important to put it in context because you had the lunch crowd and then they left. Yeah. So downtown was a little deserted at night. Well, what a perfect place for celebrities to go. It wasn't Times Square. It wasn't Midtown. They could go somewhere and not be surrounded by the crowds. Do, mm. do you agree? Is Was this yes. part of this? It was a big part. But let's also keep in mind, and it's a wonderful point, Carl, that you bring up, because what happens is a thousand lunches a day, now downtown becomes a ghost town. How are we going to get people here was really my father's really big PR push. He was Lorenzo. How do we get people here? So they had Cadillac limousines and they would bring clients from Midtown, Upper East Side, Upper West Side, down to Delmonico's. They even took it once uh, as far as having the Firebird, which was our yacht, the Delmonico yacht would pick patrons up and they would cruise down the river down to the Statue of Liberty. So 
Mario was clever. Oscar had the Rolodex. Mario owned, my father, Mario Tucci, owned a, an entertainment company with his friend John Rexer. And one of the offices naturally was upstairs. They had a stand-up piano. An axe would come in like Katina Rinieri, who was the, the songstress from Florence. Her husband, Rizzo Tolani, was one of the most Im- important composers of our time. And Mario would call Katina and say, Cara Katina, andiamo a Delmonico's per cantare. Bring whomever. She would bring Chubby Checker. She would bring Liberace. She would bring Sammy Davis Jr. So... Mario was clever in the sense that entertainment would draw people down. And what was safe about Delmonico's, but you know, the word got out. So fans would show up. Rock Hudson would go there because of what exactly what you're saying. It was safe. And he used the double doors as a beard. He would walk in with Elizabeth Taylor. She would retire to a booth. They were these fabulous booths. He would be escorted up to the penthouse where there was private dining. Why do I share this story? Not to expose him, but to show you that privacy is a lost art. And during this time, Oscar knew that his clients could have the life they desired in Delmonico's. I want listeners to come away with this show, if nothing else, really understanding what the Delmonico way means. I think it's enormously important. And you've talked some about that uh, so far. Certainly, all are welcome at the table. I see you. I hear you. You're, you have value. But there's a quote that you uh, write in the book, and I wanted to share it and have Please. you talk a little bit about it. You say the Delmonico way, it's about celebrating the moment with love, warmth, intimacy, storytelling, and environment. Those are a lot of pieces to put together, and each one is incredibly important. Will you talk about that? Sure. Also, to talk about the Delmonico way, we talk about 75 recipes in the book, right? <laughs> we'll get to the food. There's a whole know food section coming and up. food is such an important part. Why? Because food can make us cross the world without leaving our seat. We can go to Italy from our chair. We can go to India. We can go to Asia. And so food is a big aspect of the Delmonico way. But intentions on preparing the food intentions on serving the food. If we're going to serve the wedge salad that Oscar created, it's not just on a plate, it's on a chilled plate. And not only is the plate chilled, but the fork and the knife are chilled, right? So it's taking, it's taking each moment that we are presented, we're taking it to the next step, we're highlighting the experience, we're making the experience even more grand than it is by doing small things, right? So the details, it's all in the details. There's a wonderful quote that says, nobody notices the flowers on the, the, nobody notices the shoes on the flower girl, right? Which means that the bride spent all this time to pick the shoes and no one notices them. But I come back and say, yes, but the bride notices them. So if one person notices the difference, you've made the difference. And so the Delmonico way, it's about intention. It's about taking things to the next step. It's about doing things out of self-worth. It's about, yes, I see you, I hear you, you matter. It's about hospitality. It's about conviviality. It's about celebrating. In essence, for me, the Delmonico way is really, I like to say in the book, it's setting intentions while setting the table and welcoming all. There's so many facets to the Delmonico way. So it's hard to, I think to define it almost minimizes it. And so to really read the book and understand the definition is what the reader will come away with, that the Delmonico way 
they can create in their own home. Oh, one of the things that I think is so extraordinary about this book, it is not just a cookbook. It is not just a history. It is not any of those things, although it is both of those things. But it's a book, and I will say this because I read it cover to cover. You come away changed. You come away different. You You come away looking at your life and how you approach it Mm. differently. And to me, that's so much about what the Delmonico way was and means for me. There was something that Oscar said that you also put in the book that I think is enormously important Mm. here. It was people don't remember what you say or do. They remember how you make them feel. Talk about that because that's very important in all this. Right. Well, and it's much about who you are as well. You are the essence of the Delmonico way. I met you. You were warm. You were welcoming. Come do my show. You've come and supported my talks at the General Society. That's what it's about. It's about that moment where... People will not remember, let's say, we're here in the Gilded Gentlemen. For those that aren't viewing the room, we can do narrative description. There's this wonderful wallpaper. There's these sound barriers on the walls. There's a screen with the logo that says the Gilded Age. People aren't going to remember that necessarily. They're not going to remember the the temperature of the room, the lighting of the room, the water. They're not going to remember the wine on the table unless it was really, really amazing. They're not going to remember the food necessarily. They're going to remember how they were treated. And so Oscar had a staff that treated everybody like a star, like royalty. And what I love about Oscar was, and I think this really defines the Delmonico way, is that during the dark hours, he set up tables for the homeless. The same tables that presidents, celebrities, royalty, dignitaries dined at. Oscar took the time to say even to the homeless, I see you, I hear you, you matter. And in return, he was clever in doing this as well. In return, when he wasn't at the building, they would look out for him. They would make sure that no one vandalized the building, that no one robbed the building. So Oscar created this community by acknowledging people and by making people feel good. Gosh, Max, it's hard to stop and take a break, but we have to take a brief one. So Max and I will be right back and we will be talking about some food. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with Sirius XM's Listen Next program, presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with Sirius XM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Isa as host Isa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 
And we're back. I'm Carl Raymond, host of the Gilded Gentleman History Podcast. And today I have the honor of sitting down with Max Tucci and talking about family, food, and great hospitality with the publication of his new book, The Delmonico Way. Okay, Max, let's dive in a little bit. And we have to talk about the food here. And and one of the things I want to address right off the bat is some of the misconceptions about that. You said <laughs> that right at the beginning, Delmonico's was not a steakhouse. So we had to get that out of the way because mm-hmm. many people thought it was. Certainly not. Fine French food. But there were some other dishes that people say, oh, Delmonico's invented them. <laughs> well, did they or did they not? There's Lobster Newburg and Baked Alaska for two. What can you share about those? So, yes, Lobster Newburg is the recipe. But in the book, it's called Lobster Wenberg. And why? Well, you'll have to read the book to find out. But as we're speaking about the book, let's go back to the journey of the book for a moment before we get into the food. Fifteen years ago, I had a daydream, like my grandfather. He wanted Delmonico's. I wanted a book. His daydream came to fruition a little bit quicker than mine. Why? Because it was a different time, a different era. Food is a huge part of this book. I originally wanted to do a cookbook, and I wanted to do it more on the Epicurean, which is the great Charles uh, Ranhofer book that is thousands of uh, recipes and hundreds of pages. It's the Bible. I did a whole show on it last spring. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) So so you know. So, And we'll find that. How can we find that show? I want to hear it. It's (laughs) called How to Pluck a Peacock. Exactly. Charles Ranhofer and Delmonico's. How to Pluck a Peacock (laughs) and how to have swans swimming on the table, right? Yeah, we talk about all that. Anyway, continue on. (laughs) That's a fabulous book, right? But it's important because that book inspired me to do this book. And as you know, that book, it was referring to recipes from page 300 to page six. Like I said, we have to condense this into something that's a little bit easier for the market. 20 publishers told me no. It wasn't like, oh, Delmonico Air. You know, I wasn't in the restaurant. I'm not a chef. My family didn't own it anymore in the sense of operating it. And so I said, what am I going to like? How am I going to sell this food? I called my celebrity chef friends, Carla Hall, Andrew Zimmer, and I said, I need recipes. They were like, what? I said, imagine if uh, Marilyn Monroe were coming for dinner, what would you make? <laughs> and Letty Alvarez from, from LA Sweets, I said, what would you do if so-and-so came in? She said, oh, I would do the Baked Alaska cupcake. Why Baked Alaska? So to your question, Baked Alaska, Lobster Wenberg, Eggs Benedict, The Wedge Salad, Delmonico Potatoes, Delmonico Steak. The list goes on and on. What do they all mean? Oysters Rockefeller, the Delmonico cocktail. They mean this. To And we were very careful in saying Delmonico's invented or created these dishes. Why? Because it's in the 1800s, food had existed previously for how many centuries before. So I like to say this, and it kind of gets me off the hook, that no matter where these dishes were invented, it was for certain that Delmonico's made them famous. The stories of Eggs Benedict, when Mrs. Benedict would come in and wanted something new and insisted to have this dish that she created in her home, and the kitchens, remember, were always in the basement of these townhouses. She created this and wanted in Delmonico's. Her Eggs Benedict, so Eggs Benedict. Lobster Wenberg, which is the story about the captain and how he got into a fight with the chef, and then the chef said, oh, I'm changing it to Newburgh. And then baked Alaska, and then the wedge salad, 1930s, present, closer to our time now, is the salad my grandfather created. Sir Maccioni, who owned Le Cirque Restaurant, first had a job when he first came to America, Delmonico's, 
Tony May from the Rainbow Room in San Domenico, New York, first had his job at Delmonico's. So all of this food is happening. So I'm saying I have access to all of these powerful people in the industry by being just the grandson of Oscar Tucci and the son of Mario Tucci. So when we came up with these recipes, simple. Cooking then wasn't as extravagant or complex as it is today. I just cooked Cherry's Jubilee on the Tamron Hall Show. Four ingredients, cherries, sugar, lemon, and uh, vanilla seed. That's it. But it's but the art of powerful. how you put it together, Max. Exactly. And the flambe. <laughs> we say the flambe, the Delmonico way. Right. <laughs> so 20 publishers said no to the book. I didn't give up on my daydream because years ago I interviewed Sherry Salata, who was the executive producer for the Oprah Winfrey show for 25 years. And Sherry wrote a book called The Beautiful No. And I realized after all these publishers, you don't have the numbers, you're not relevant. The Monaco, Delmonico's isn't relevant. That was one of my favorite responses. They were beautiful no's because they led to the divine yes that Rizzoli and Charles said to me. He saw the vision of this book. He understood the history of this book. He understood the food and the cocktails and the stories. And so this was really a labor of love. You know, when you said it's hard to define, is this a cook history food? Is this New York? Is this celebrity? Is it a cocktail? We also have that same challenge of what is this hybrid? And so when we were submitting for the James Beard Award, which we have and knock on wood and fingers crossed, we are acknowledged, we went under the food history category. We talk about grapefruit and a simple broiled grapefruit. What does that mean? Why did Marilyn Monroe love it? Why did Oscar put it on the menu? And what were the diet trends that Oscar saw during time that he would bring certain foods to the menu? Now, Max, you grew up in this really extraordinary world. You were at the restaurant as a child. Can you share some of your memories? I heard you speak recently, <laughs> and there were a number of them that you have shared. So I would like my listeners to know what it was like for you growing up. What did you see? What did you hear? What was it like? What did you do? The first thing I can think of in this moment is Auntie Mame. My Aunt Mary was my Auntie Mame. But you know that staircase where she comes down and all of the, the constant changes in this fabulous duplex apartment? This was my circus. This was my life. As a child, I didn't know anything about it. I just thought everyone lived like this, right? And so I had tasks. I had to check all the light bulbs, which I still do today. And it's a horrible trait. <laughs> I have to check that the glasses don't have chips, the plates don't have chips, the silverware is clean, that there are no creases in the tablecloths. As a child, I grew up in this. You know, it was like they wanted me to, they were grooming me to take over Delmonico's. My sister had a little bit more, Nicoletta had a little bit more of the luxury in the kitchen and creating and food, but they were putting me to work in the front of the house. So those were the times of like, oh, I have to check now I know the Lalique ashtrays, right? The Cristoffel sterling silver, the Baccarat glasses. Imagine all of this on the table. The Janori dishes. As a child, I had no idea what this was. I was interested in two things, horses and being outside. So when we then were promoted, let's call it, to the coat check room, this was my favorite place. The coat check room, if we imagine... Virginia Graham coming in in one of her chinchillas or Gypsy Rose Lee coming in in one of her stables. Obviously, these weren't the clients. Let's just daydream for a moment. And even Sammy Javis Jr. in a full-length fox coat. 
So if we speed up to the 1980s and these celebrities came in, whomever they were, we were able to hang their coats. My mother thought it was important. My mother, Gina, was the executive vice president for Maximilian Furs. That's how I got my name for Revion Furs. She opened the Roberto Di Camerino store with Onassis at the Olympic Towers and Jaeger. Fashion was her thing. So she was integrating fashion and food by letting us be in the coat room. We could care less. When everyone was dining, we would take all of, now I say this not, you know, just to paint the picture, hundreds and thousands of dollars worth of sable and mink and chinchilla, and we would throw them on the floor, make a fort in this coat closet at Delmonico's. We would pass out on them like the Turner Classic Movie starlets, my sister and I, and we would get in massive trouble. And when my mother walked in and saw my sister and I playing and throwing these, you know, chinchilla weighs nothing, throwing them in the air, oh, fire. There's that movie Clue where the lady, she's like, there's fire, fire, Mrs. White, coming out of my, that was my mother. And so the fun parts for me, obviously, was that moment because it's so memorable. But we had a pastry chef. So imagine growing up, it's food, glorious food. And we would run down to the basement. And they had all the racks of pastries that they were preparing. Cookies, Florentine cookies, recipes in the book. My sister and I would take the trays scurry up to my Aunt Mary's office, lock the door, and we would devour this. And it was bang, 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 bang. The pastry chef was like ready to just like, you know, kill us. And my aunt said, oh, let them, you know, let them have fun. So it was magical growing up in Delmonico's. Magical. What was the greatest lesson that your father ever taught you? Never to say the F word. Because he would put hot pepper in our mouths. And this goes back to a story. You know, that's a great question. That was one, that was like the, I've never heard that question before. That's why that was the most real. We're a little innovative here on the Gilded Gentleman. You are for sure, Carl. (laughs) But that's why it was such a real response because I remember that. But a employee many years ago, 1960s, Lelo Arpaia, who's the father to Donatella Arpaia, he's one of the New York great restaurateurs, worked at Delmonico's and was telling me a story about Mario Tucci. He said, when we worked at Delmonico's, everybody in the morning had to, it was a regiment, line up, make sure that their, their frog buttons were polished, their nails were done, their hair was done, their shoes were polished. And he said, one morning, an employee said the F word to your father, and your father slapped him. And I'm thinking, oh my, God. can you imagine slapping an employee today? The employee called the union supervisor and said that he was slapped by Mario Tucci at Delmonico's restaurant. Down comes the supervisor the next day. And this is to paint the picture of Mario Tucci. Not that he was an aggressive, angry man, but that he wanted excellence in the restaurant. And the supervisor fined my father $1965,000. My father said, I want all the staff in the dining room, main dining room, the palm room immediately. They all lined up. And he said in front of the supervisor, and this is the story from Lelo Arpaia, if any of my staff uses the F word to me again, Find me double because I'll slap them twice. So when I said the F word for the first time and red pepper was in my mouth, I got a little bit of a, I got, it was easier than a slap in the face. So that was one. He also taught me to polish my shoes, to keep my cars clean, all reflections of self-worth and presentation, right? And he taught us, he taught us how to sing. He taught us how to play the piano. He debuted at Carnegie Hall as a singer. He was an opera singer. 
And that was his passion. My Aunt Mary wanted to be an actress, but this restaurant industry takes over your passions and kind of gives you a new one. He taught me many things. Most importantly, to love my family. And the same way that Oscar taught him, he taught me the Dhammanaka way of all are welcomed at my table. And when you see people, I see you, I hear you, and you matter. You also write in the book, uh, you share that your father died when you were only eight years old. Mm. And you say that your father's death allowed you to live your own life. Yeah. What did you mean by that? So I did a book recently with Dr. Sister Jenna on meditation. Meditation has been a huge part of my life for many years. And why is that important? For years, I was very pissed off with my father. Not that he died, but that the roles that I was given because he died were husband, father, this, that, you know, everything that my mother had as a young widow didn't know. She gave me these roles. So I was pissed that he died and angry. I was in meditation once and in that meditation, which was recently, I was at an ashram and in that moment of breathing, I realized that my father's death gave me my life. Now, not that I wished him dead, but that he understood that he had to let go of his life in order for me to fulfill mine. Now, he wanted me to take over Delmonico's. He wanted me to be the, you know, the Tucciere, the Delmonico heir. So his death opened up my eyes to see, and this is when I was in my 20s, that really he allowed me to be me. He allowed me to go into production, into television. I didn't have to be the chain and ball at Delmonico's. So what is my legacy? Because of him, one of them is the book. His death allowed me to write this book and to talk about him and my grandfather, my grandmother, my aunt in a way that honors them. That if we had spent more time together, maybe I wouldn't have done it. And so that's what I meant by saying, you know, I did a book also with Al Roker about fathers many years ago. Al Roker approached me and said, you know, will you tell your father your story about your father? And I remember writing that it was almost as if he knew he was going to die so young because he spent every moment he could with us. Whether we were in Italy, Delmonico's, Connecticut, New York, traveling, he was always with us. On your own podcast, when you were talking about the book, you shared this, I thought, very beautiful story of, I guess it was shortly before the book was published. Mm. You actually went to your family's mausoleum and you sat amidst your family's graves and you read sections of the book to your father yeah. and grandfather. Can you talk about that moment, why you did that and what it gave you? This is that Barbara Walters moment when she hears cha-ching because you're have me weep. <laughs> so yes, there's a beautiful song that is um, by an artist named Felisa Latin Soul. She sings the intro to Max and Friends now. And the song is Ancestors. Ancestors mean so much to me. They guided me through this book. They guided me to Rizzoli. They guided me to Whoopi Goldberg. Why do I say Whoopi? Because I threw a party for her at Delmonico's for her book, The Unqualified Hostess, where Charles was there, and that's kind of where everything came together. And we were at a luncheon with Whoopi once at Delmonico's, and it was that moment of ghost where Whoopi stops and she looks at the double front doors, and Carl, I'll show you the picture after. She goes, oh, your grandfather's here. And I was like, oh, you in danger, girl. <laughs> and... um she said, I see him opening these double doors of Delmonico's and there's this backlight behind him. And someone had taken a photo of, of it was Lena Bradford, Whoopi Goldberg, Tom, and myself. 
and above us there's rays of light inside Delmonico's. So when I was doing this journey and I wanted to honor and respect and, and discuss my family, I wanted their permission. So we have a mausoleum, which is very cool because it's right next to, um, in the same section of Babe Ruth. So I stop and say hi to Babe Ruth and then I go to my family and I sat there and I said, Oscar Tucci, Mary Tucci, Mario Tucci, Sesta Tucci, we did it. Thank you. Ancestors guide me. All of those beautiful no's led to the yes, you were there. Your story I can share in a book that's not just a book. That's so much more because it's who you were and what you loved and what you want the world in my generation to know the Delmonico way. So I really felt that I had to share this with them. And I sat there and I read chapters. And sometimes I still go uh, and I drive over there. And, you know, my mother always taught us to sweep the steps of the mausoleum and to clean the cobwebs away. And so now I feel like it's, um, it's my temple of where I can go and, and commune with the Tucci's. So my listeners, just before Max and I began to record this show, I took out an old 19th century photograph and I left it right on the table. It's sitting right here between Max and me. And it's a photo of my great-grandmother. Her name was Sophronia Isabel Sellers, and she lived here in New York during the Gilded Age. Now, I never knew her. I never met her. But Sophronia wanted to be a writer, and it was at a time when there was no way that she could be. And to this day, I have some of her attempts at writing. And so for me and my life, mm. what this show is about, what my writing is about, what my speaking is about, is closing the circle. And it's a tremendous connection back to Sophronia Isabel. And the reason I share that with my listeners and with you, Max, is I knew you'd understand it. And so Sophronia is here right between the two of I'm us. I'm going to share with you, I wear this necklace every day. And in this necklace, for those that can't see it, there's a little gold book. And when we open this book, it's a picture of my grandfather, my grandmother, my father, and my aunt. Four little pages. So, of course, you know, when we have their pictures, it's to acknowledge them. But what I like to take one step further, the Delmonico way with ancestors, is we don't acknowledge them. We remember them. We call them in. Your grandmother, great-grandmother takes your hand and writes with you, like Oscar and Mario and Mary and Sesta did with this book. So it's a pleasure to meet her. Max, if you could ask Oscar one question today, if he were sitting here at the table with us, what would you want to know? What do you want next for the book? <laughs> because he was a marketing genius. So I would want to know, and I know the answer because I've had this conversation with him. And when I speak and I'm at the cemetery, the trees move and whether all, it's all just nature and all just, it's my truth. And so I know that he wants this to not only be a book, but wants it to be on film, on screen. Remember, he loved the silver screen. He loved actors and actresses. There's a wonderful actress named Lynn Tucci. She was not related by any means in the sense that, you know, she's Tucci's not even her real last name, but she was on Orange is the New Black and Showgirls and all these films. I posted this book and I, she bought the copy at the Barnes and Noble on Fifth Avenue. There are signed copies there. She comes back and she's reading the book and she sends me a text message and says, this is a film and I want to play your grandmother, Sesta. And if people go to my Instagram at Max Tucci, you'll see I put a collage together of Lynn Tucci and how much she resembles Sesta. So I said, the ancestors are speaking. Yeah, that's no accident, Max. No. <laughs> so for me and a friend of mine in Italy, we call her Contessa Pentolina. 
which is Little Pan, right? Pentolina is in Tuscany region. My father, you know, is from Florence. So we would go see her at Contessa Pentolina. And she says, if you take 75 recipes away, you have the story of the manuscript for the perfect series. So it's speaking. So maybe that's what Oscar wants. And that's the question I would have. Do you want this to be a series? So, Max, to end here, um, you say at the end of the book, and I quote, I encourage you, as Mario did, to hold your loved ones close, to celebrate often, gather family and friends around the table any chance you get, and serve meals with love. So, my friends, we are all, I think you'd agree here, Max, custodians of our ancestors Mm -hmm. and of our families. And that's really what this is all about. Max, your family took that and certainly shared it with the world. Now you with your wonderful book and recipes and inspiration can help. I think all of us do it in in our own way. Mm. Thank you so much for being here today on The Gilded Gentleman. And that is the Delmonico way. Doing it your way. Doing what your last... Use what your grandmother left you. Don't wait for it. Use it. And don't worry about putting it in the dishwasher. Okay, there might be some gold rim on the plate. And if it washes away, the patina is the perfection because we're using what our ancestors left us. So I thank you, Carl, for having me here. I adore having your grandmother with us. They're like, you know, probably celebrating in the Demonico way. Imagine what that table would be like, right? There'd be a lot of food. A lot of food and they would be plucking peacocks. We'll talk about the plucking of the peacocks. (laughs) But thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share the story. And thank you for being the definition of the Delmonico way. Well, that's an honor. Thank you, Max, for you to say this. For understanding the Gilded Age and for bringing it to the attention of so many people that have forgotten it. Thank you. It's really interesting because in, in different ways, you and I do the same thing. Mm. You know, interpreters, translators, and, and hopefully inspire people. You know, I, it's like artwork, right? Paintings are all different, but yet it's all still done by an artist, right? So we're just painting the future and remembering. And that's what I think the most important thing is of your show, of my book, is that we have to remember. But not only remember, Maya Angelou was very well known for saying this. When you learn, teach. You've learned so much about living in New York. You're teaching. I've learned so much about the hospitality industry. I'm teaching. So we're more than artists. We're teachers. And thank you for being a teacher of the Gilded Age. And thank you for being here today. I can't wait for another show. When the film comes out, when your next book comes out, please come back to The Gilded Gentleman. Indeed. I would love that. And to my listeners, Max's book, The Delmonico Way, Sublime, Entertaining, and Legendary Recipes from the Restaurant That Made New York is available now wherever books are sold. And please listen to Max's show, Max and Friends, and on his podcast and follow him on Instagram at Tucci. And thank you for joining me for another episode of The Gilded Gentleman. The Gilded Gentleman is produced by Bowery Boys Media, and this episode was edited and produced by Kieran Gannon. I invite my listeners to join the show on patreon.com slash thegildedgentleman. Your support truly helps me manage the costs of research, studio rentals, production costs, and allows me to create, write, and record each show. I couldn't do it without you. Thank you. And I'll see you soon in the new year for new episodes and a new season of The Gilded Gentleman. After all, what's life without a little glint of gold? Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.